0: Everywhere you go, you get by boat up and down the river, right? And I'm just like sitting in the boat thinking, they're paying me to do this. This is like outrageously wonderful.
1: This is Up in the Air, a show about travel adventures, frequent flying, and the unique experiences we have along the way. I'm Ina Grimace, and in this episode, you'll hear from Lori Balton about the art of location scouting for Hollywood films and all of the minutiae that comes with it. Long before production begins on a Hollywood movie, teams of people have been hard at work putting together the production plan. So far, this is not groundbreaking information to you, I'm sure, but bear with me. Well, one of those people is a location scout and their job essentially involves finding locations in the real world that can best fit the director or producer's vision for the film. This is the point when I'm supposed to have your attention. My guest today is Lori Balton, and she's helped shape the vision for films like Inception, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Argo, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, and many more. She's a big deal, okay? It's a big get for the podcast. Like any job that seems too good to be true, and yes, her job really is to travel the world looking for amazing places to film movies, it isn't always glamorous and is never easy, despite the fact that she is forced to occasionally demo five-star hotels on scouting trips to ensure they are suitable. For the ritzy casts and crew members who demand such accommodations, before you quit your job to be a location scout, I'll let Lori explain how it works. Your job, and this is true, is to travel all over the world looking for the best locations to film things, and you get paid for it. So, what's the catch?
0: The catch is only that I am a very, very lucky and a very, very grateful person, and um, COVID has thrown a little bit of a wrench in the works. So I'm. I'm hoping we can work through this right now. I'm scouting in Los Angeles,
1: Mm -hmm. which uh, which is where you live, right?
0: Yeah. And it's great. Uh, You know, I I love working in L.A. I mean, I I stayed based in L.A. uh, the whole time I was raising my daughter. And then when she was old enough, I started traveling more and then traveling internationally. But it's it's kind of nice to be at home and be working. I'm very grateful for that. And there's a lot that's been going on in L.A. that I've been missing. So,
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's actually pretty unusual for you to be at home working.
0: Yeah, it's all, all good.
1: Luckily, before the pandemic, though, you have had quite a few experiences, and I want to dive into that. So how did you get into location scouting?
0: I just sort of fell into it, and I think that most of us do fall into it. It's not something that's a very well-known or understood occupation, I got a master's degree at Boston University, my undergraduate degree at Cornell, and I just kind of, um, I just kind of fell into it. I started doing production work, and one thing led to another, and I enjoyed uh, the one feature I worked on in Boston was *Witches of Eastwick*, which I really liked. Um, features didn't come that often to Boston, though, and then I eventually met my husband on a movie and moved to LA, and got in a union here uh, from the production manager I work with on Witches of Eastwick and I never look back. So it's, it's been really a nice long
1: run. Cool. Cool. I apologize if this is a basic question, but when movies actually, once you've done your scouting, once movies go to production, would you, will you be on set?
0: When I first started working, I started working as a location manager and that's what most people are and that means Mm -hmm. you you look for the locations and then to me location managing is the most difficult and thankless job on a film set and it takes a really a a certain kind of person to do it because you are basically if anything can go wrong it's somehow traced back to your department and if anything can go right there are five producers standing in front of you to take the credit so you know you're responsible for you know fire safety permits parking the trucks the porta potties where are they feeding where are the wardrobe pe- I mean it's everything and and you need to be available twenty four seven really um because as I said any crisis somehow suddenly becomes your crisis yeah. so when I was pregnant with my daughter, I decided that i i the part of the job that i it's a And it's also really weird and unusual because the job is a very left brain and right brain job at the same time. And there Mm -hmm. are very few people who really excel at both. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, I decided I really enjoy the scouting part of it. So Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, people do that in commercials. They only scout. They don't manage. Let me see if I could maybe start doing that in features. And I was the first person to do it. And it it was very successful. And now there are quite a few people who who focus just on scouting. And um, it turned out to be a great thing for me.
1: So the difference between a manager and a scout is the manager is like overseeing the production process, the permits, crew safety, et cetera. And the scout's actually researching the place to shoot.
0: The location manager is doubly creative. They're creative in finding the locations, and then they're also very creative in making the logistics and the budget work. Okay. So they have that whole other side of it. It's great for me to be a scout who did work as a location manager for so many years because I I keep in mind all of those logistical elements, but I focus primarily on visual. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I imagine that really informs the work you do now. So when a when a director or producer, I'm not sure who would come to you and say, hey, we're shooting this movie and we need to shoot in these kinds of locations. Like, what's your process when you start approaching that pro- that uh, project?
0: You know, Google is a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's just it's just such a great tool to be able to to research. And I love researching But, you know, the problem is the producers can do the research, too. And they're like, well, you know, why don't you look at this or why don't you go here? (laughs) And uh, so but. um, You know, and then you you sort of build up a little bit of a repertoire with things like um, like a lot of times, like on Planet of the Apes. And um, oh, my gosh, I can't even remember. There were a couple of movies that I worked on in a in a close time frame and they wanted in other you know otherworldly landscapes you know so there yeah. are things that you you research and then you research again and you you just keep you you keep culling what the best of all of your research is so that you are, you have a lot of things on speed dial as it were mm-hmm. so just you know just from reading the script and knowing the world and then starting to do the research and working with film commissions and working with production service companies around the world. You get, you know, you slowly gather your information and you put it together in a presentation for the director and you you work with the um the studios for, you know, um, safety issues and mm-hmm. cost issues. And and then you go and you it, it it's kind of mind blowing because you arrange this wild itinerary. And then somebody says, Oh, OK, here's your ticket. <laughs> yeah. and, off, and off you go to explore the Amazon for a month. Yeah. You know, it's just it's crazy.
1: So which movie were you working on when you went to the Amazon?
0: Uh, Disney's Jungle Cruise, which uh, should hopefully be coming out, uh, I think, in the summer. But, you know, okay. they pushed it because of
1: COVID. You said for months.
0: I, I was over I was in the Amazon for a little bit. Almost two months, actually, because I, I did Brazil, which is absolutely enormous, and Colombia and Peru. So I was there for quite a while.
1: The whole country by foot. <laughs> All right, uh, no. Laurie, here's do. you need every square foot. Um, <laughs> here's your ticket. Have fun. Bring good shoes.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, in Brazil, I mean, I, I honestly had no idea just how huge the country is. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I did quite a bit of flying around in Brazil.
1: I haven't been to Brazil, which is high on my list, but um, it looks amazing. So, I mean, like any dream job that appears to be that way on the outside comes with the less glamorous side, of course. So what are your responsibilities as a location scout that people don't understand or aren't necessarily aware of? Obviously, the travel side, the glamorous side, that's cool. Um, but on the flip side, what, what keeps you busy?
0: Well, you know, the travel is cool until it isn't. I mean, you know, it gets tiring to be in a plane and do so much traveling. You know, it's kind of nice to sleep in your own bed. Yeah. As, as nice as it is to travel. So it's it's always a trade-off.
1: How much time are you on the road each year, do you think?
0: It really varies. Like even this year with COVID, um, at the beginning of the year, I was at the Focus, which is sort of like a location expo that the location guide does in London. And then from there, I went to Malta. And then even just a couple of weeks ago, I was in the country of Georgia. So oh, wow. um, even with COVID, I've been able to travel a little bit. And I'm I'm lucky, I do two things. One is I travel because of work, and then because there are so many places, countries um, that have realized that filming is great for their economy, mm-hmm. um, For a twofold reason, not only because of the money we bring in when we're filming, but how it affects tourism once the movie comes out. Right. So um, it's a really big draw. And there are a lot of countries that have incentives to try to attract filmmakers. And they also do something called familiarization trips where they'll Mm. bring a bunch of location managers and or producers to have a look at the country and show off the locations and show off the production services yeah, and, and, you know, sort of wine and dine us and show right. us the lay of the land with the, what hopes do you think about this kind of a, thing with a project? Yeah. So it was a really great break from being quarantined here in LA to be able to go to the country of Georgia where uh, COVID is much, much lower than it is in our country and actually, you know, interact with people much. again. Yeah, exactly. Only 96% exactly.
1: of the population has it in Georgia.
0: Yeah, crazy.
1: Well, so presumably Americans can go to Georgia right now. I guess I didn't realize that was one of the countries we can visit. Well,
0: I'm not quite sure, actually. Uh, I, they got a special um, waiver for us and we were in quarantine for 24 hours and we had to keep being tested repeatedly. So mm. it was sort of a special kind of business trip thing. I don't think that it's it's wide open for tourism I don't think, um, unfortunately, I think we live in a third world country right now and hopefully that'll change, but we, nobody wants us, you know, nobody wants us to come knock at their door and visit. How can you blame them?
1: No, I I am with you 100% on that. If I ran a country, I would be like, yeah, let's probably not let those guys in for a little bit.
0: Yeah. Let them sort some
1: things out first.
0: We've all become the ugly American suddenly.
1: Yeah. I do this segment on the podcast called Explain That Graham where I go back through your Instagram and I pick a photo that I assume has an interesting story behind it. And I saw, I couldn't, I couldn't really pick. You posted a bunch of photos from your Amazon scouting mission that looked incredible. So I I think I wanted to just say that block of pictures look, look amazing. You came across some pretty large insects, tarantulas, scorpions, things like that. So give me some, uh, give me some background on your experience scouting for jungle crews and, um, yeah, I want to hear the juicy stories that, uh, y- you, you, experienced with almost two months on the ground there.
0: Well, that, those particular pictures, that was an incredible experience. So normally, um, you know, when I travel, part of what I'm doing is I'm also testing the hotels and making sure that they're going to be okay for when the director comes and the producer comes and they're used to five-star hotels. Oh, Wow. You don't really have that in a lot of places where I scout. So, for instance, this place, it was really funny because when we got to the room, I was with, um, let me think, there was a guy who was operating the drone for me. And then there were two people from the production service company. One was uh, in charge of the money and bookings and the other was a a scout, Mm -hmm. a local scout. And so they lead us to this cabin and it's like, and I, they, I just assume it's going to be my cabin and everybody goes in <laughs> It's like, oh, this is cozy. <laughs> and, you know, it was so much fun. I did get my own room and then there was another room upstairs that they all shared. But we yeah. all shared the same bathroom, and it was it was like a kind ah. of like a pajama. I mean, it was so much fun, and there was no electricity there, you know. So after dinner, it's like, well, what are we going to do? Oh my And gosh. the guy gives everybody these big thick rubber boots, and everybody gets a flashlight, and we go out for these night hikes, and that's where huh. we saw the tarantulas and the scorpion that looks like it's wearing a plate of armor, yeah. and the spider eggs hanging in the web. Yeah. I mean, and then. And the one thing that amazed me the most was I saw a bird that was sleeping. It's like, I've never Whoa, seen yeah, I never a seen bird that before. sleep before. So it was really, it was fascinating. It was really an incredible trip. And then, you know, you go everywhere you go, you get by boat up and down the river, right? And I'm just like sitting in the yeah. boat thinking, they're paying me to do this. This is like outrageously wonderful.
1: <laughs> For anybody listening who wants to go back and see that those photos they're they're in there september 2017 is the region if you're looking at the dates that's really interesting that you mentioned that you're also looking at like hotel quality and such as as it relates to being able to to support a production coming in um i guess that, that never really occurred to me but that's obviously a totally crucial part of location scouting
0: it definitely is there are two things that i do though and and The second one is something that's relatively new. And if I could establish myself as the queen of plate shots, nothing would make me happier. So Mm. plate shots are basically, um, to describe it in simple terms, it would be a green screen. And I would go and provide the image, well, scout for the image. Then the guys would come and shoot it, you know, with the right quality cameras that would fill that green screen that then you see the actors in front of. So that it looks like they're in the Amazon when really they're on a stage in Atlanta. Yeah, and it was really interesting because I worked on the Lion King, and the I don't know if you saw John Favreau's the live action. It was
1: I didn't unfortunately, but I'm familiar with it. Obviously,
0: you should have a look at it. It's it's pretty. It's a pretty amazing movie how they did it. Mm -hmm. So I scouted for the hyenas um, where they're in like the I think it's called like the elephant boneyard, and I scouted. Uh, a lot of places for that. And they ended up going to Yellowstone and yeah. they wouldn't let me do it. They wouldn't let me go in because it was the height of the season. And I said, you don't understand. It's just me and two other guys. We have a very small footprint and we'll stay on the paths and yada, 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 So they let us do it. And, and we went in and the guys used LIDAR and they, they literally go around the geyser taking images so that they can recreate the geyser on set so that Whoa. the actors can actually walk around it and interact with it. I mean it's Whoa. it's mind it's mind-blowingly wonderful. And so it's really interesting to be able to contribute location ideas that are then incorporated into something that has so much visual effects as opposed to being intimidated by the notion that visual effects is going to make us not need locations anymore. So, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it was really interesting to do that. And similarly, I just finished working on um, Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. And I was in uh, Vietnam by the border of China. And uh-huh. again, so for plate shots, you know, knowing I'm doing plate shots, it doesn't matter that I'm close to an airport or I'm close to a good hotel because I will be going with a much smaller crew yeah. to get the plate shots. Yeah. Um, so All of a sudden, the whole world then becomes a possibility, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to get a better sense of like your approach. Uh, Director says we're looking for, you know, fill in the blank and you arrive on location. And like, what's in your bag? Like, how, how do you how do you find that?
0: I do a lot of research before I leave to go anywhere. So that's that's definitely one thing. The other thing is it's not often it's not only the director saying, I need this creatively, it's the producer saying these are the three places that are going to give us the incentives. So even though we know, you know, there are better volcanoes in this country, they don't have an incentive. These are the countries that do, or maybe you can find another country that has,
1: you know, like a production and, cost incentive. Exactly. That's what you're, okay, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you know, so over the years, I've developed contacts in, you know, most of the countries that are film friendly. So I have people to call to, you know, help me do some research, you know, boots on the ground. And um, I just, I really like researching. So for me, that's great fun. And then what I'll do is I'll pull images and and put the screenshots up on a website and have the director and producer look at it and say, these are, you know, th- these things locations are within such and such a proximity of this airport you know this is how much travel time would be you know it's it's all of the millions of different considerations and it and it starts with how much do they love the visuals and how unique are the visuals
1: one thing i want to talk to you about is location scouting in the age of social media and particularly in the age of like instagram tourism tourism when previously unpopular or unknown locations Started to become exposed due to location tagging and over tourism. Uh, I noticed you don't tag any of the locations you visit on Instagram. And so I'm curious what your take is on that as it relates to kind of exposing some of these incredible locations that we wouldn't have found otherwise.
0: I use it a little bit for research, certainly, but I don't think that it really has much of an effect because it's very unusual to go someplace just for one location. Mm. So it would, uh, you know, I would want there to be, you know, several different options for the location, or especially if I was scouting not for plate shots and for a movie, there's a, I, I don't think that Instagram is ever going to drive that. You know, it's almost the same kind of thing where, for instance, working now in LA, I, I the thing that I'm working on, my producer just sent an, an image of a house that he found on some real estate site and said, how about this one? And and I know he's trying to be helpful, but I know because the production hasn't really gotten up and running yet, he has maybe a little too much time on his hands. Yeah, yeah. And I've worked on shows where literally you feel like you need to hire someone in the department just to run down leads that the producers keep giving you because they... You know, just like I, I said, Google is like a blessing and a curse, you know, yeah, because it's like I can do this never do ending
1: it. stream Any, of.
0: Yeah, anybody thinks they can do it. And they get on Google Earth and they're like, hey, look at this. This looks great. Go find this. And it's like, you guys, you don't understand. You have no idea exactly when this was shot. You have no idea whether the neighbors are insane. You have no idea what the permitting procedure is for this municipality. Y- you don't know anything with all due respect. So let me do let me do my job.
1: I suppose what I mean more specifically as it relates to Instagram is like now I'm trying to think of a specific example. Maybe like you're probably familiar with those kind of Balinese gates. It's it. And they kind of frame that volcano in Mm -hmm. Bali. Mm -hmm. And personally, I'd never seen that place until Instagram existed. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's like some sort of incredible location for a film. But now that as as I understand it, when you go there, there's basically a line of people waiting to take their photo on Instagram. How does that affect how you can use a location for a movie?
0: Well, the, you know, the, so to answer your question, then rather than being attracted to those places, those are the places that I don't want to be going. You would want to be working with the local film commission. To either, I mean, if if they have lines of tourists waiting for these places, those are not the places that they're going to want us to be filming in.
1: Yeah, because they're getting all the tourism dollars from exactly. the, those people exactly. already. So that kind of sucks then for you guys in that respect. Instagram has definitely ruined that a bit.
0: Uh, you know what? I I don't think that it sucks at all because it's a it's a really huge, wide, wide, wonderful world, and there are so many fabulous things to be discovered. And, you know, even at the start of the conversation, when I was saying I'm working in L.A. now, uh, you know, I've I've worked in L.A. for decades and there is still, believe it or not, new things to discover. So, you know, when when you put the whole world at our feet, it's a it's a big planet and it's full of amazing things. So I'm not that worried about running out of ideas.
1: One thing I was thinking as I was preparing for this conversation is I feel like I don't see a lot of Africa in Hollywood films and and obviously it is far away and there's costs associated with that and but it's unbelievably gorgeous there and you know I know you worked on Lion King for example but you know you like you were just saying you guys shot stuff in Yellowstone so why don't you why do you think you we don't see more Africa in Hollywood films
0: Well they scouted Africa heavily on Lion King and I was supposed to go back and it just they realized that they they were there in one season and they wanted it in a different season. And so I was going to go back and shoot it. And then, (laughs) unfortunately, somebody had the brilliant realization that they had all of the coordinates of all of the places that they wanted shot. And since they already had the DP with them when they went to shoot it on the initial recce, they said, we can just send someone local. We just want to sort of have a feeling of what it looks now. And so I, I didn't did not get to do that. And I was really disappointed because Africa has been on my list for a long time. And I would I would jump at it in a moment's notice. So, I mean, I, I have scouted Morocco and I love Morocco, but that's mm-hmm. that's as far as I've gotten on the continent.
1: Highly recommend. Africa is amazing. You mentioned that you have to shoot things. So what sort of equipment do you use? Because I imagine you have to capture all sorts of angles, wide telephoto, you have to capture everything. So what are you using?
0: I use a Nikon a D5300, which is much smarter than I am. And I have a lens that I love, which is an 18 to 400.
1: Whoa. Um,
0: yeah, which, and it's very light, which is kind of mind blowing and it's, um, it's perfect. I don't need to carry anything else really. No so kidding, um, 18
1: to 400.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, but then I have my backup equipment. So I have two sets of everything just in case. And then I have a little tiny camera um, in case the backup equipment stops working. Um, So that's it just really is, is be, you know, being prepared for something getting lost or damaged um, while I'm out in the middle of nowhere, making sure that I have enough cleaning supplies, enough batteries, enough chargers, that sort of thing.
1: Obviously you do go out to some pretty remote locations. Is it, Common for you to work by yourself or are you usually with a team?
0: Oh, no, no, no. I, I'll go with somebody. W- there, there. In most countries, there are production service companies that you have to work with because they're uh, familiar with the, you know, the economy and the exchange and the getting equipment in and the whole rigmarole. So I work closely with them. So what I'll do is I will involve them as early on in the process as I can. And, um, you know, for safety's sake, and then also just for their information, you know, I'll, I'll give them all of the information that I've been looking at. Like on, um, on Jungle Cruise, there's a place in Chiapas, Mexico, called Aguas Azules. And it's a, it's a beautiful, it's something from, I think it's the sulfur, no, it couldn't be sulfur. There's something, some mineral in the water, and it's just this beautiful, brilliant blue water. And uh, we just thought it would be really interesting for the movie. And uh, I, so I, was gonna go to, I did go to scout it. But when I sent something to the production company, I was like, well, so we'll go from here to here and then we'll do this. And the guy's like, yeah, but instead of taking a day, it's actually going to take you five days. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I looked, you know, I, did, I looked at the roads. I did the mileage. I figured the whole thing out. He said, yeah, this road down here is owned by bandits, so nobody in the country uses this road because we've all decided we don't want to pay their toll. So you have (laughs) to go all the way up and you have to go all the way around. So there's things like that that you, you know, not living in a region, there's no way you would know something like that. It's very local knowledge and you can't, um, you can't, I mean, it's one thing if you're on vacation, but you can't, you have to function as efficiently as possible when you're working. So you really need to, you know, there's, there's the...
1: Well, there's definitely something in the water there. There's a reason for Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, and speaking of, I mean, Mexico and location scouts, there was obviously that issue a couple of years ago with the scout for Narcos who got killed at scouting, right?
0: Yeah, but he, that, I mean, that could have happened anywhere. It's so sad and it's so unfortunate, but it, it really is not necessarily Mexico. He was just unfortunately at the wrong place in the wrong time. And he had a camera with him and, and you know, the theory is that somebody saw him and he, he thought he was there spying on them and and there was a drug deal going down or something.
1: Yeah. Wrong place, wrong time.
0: Yeah. But I mean, you know, I've scouted in LA on heat in places that that were pretty tough places that I was in some cases by myself. I mean, I, I learned uh, I learned after a couple of incidents that if I was going to go someplace really tough, I'd have a guard go with me or arrange to have a police officer accompany me. So uh,
1: that's smart, especially with like an expensive camera. You don't want to be flashing that around in the wrong place.
0: The main thing is, I think anywhere in the world, as long as you explain to people you know, who you are, what you're doing and, and what you could potentially be bringing into the area. I think, you know, people people for the most part find it interesting. And they also see that, that there could be some economic gain from it.
1: What role do location scouts play in films that take place in the past?
0: I've worked on a lot of period movies and I and I absolutely adore working on them because they involve so much more research. You
1: know, It must be harder the, and harder to make that happen with, I mean, particularly because points in time is, are just getting further behind.
0: Yeah, it is. In fact, right now I'm working on a movie about... Um, uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz that Aaron Sorkin wrote the script and is directing. It's a brilliant script. And um, I just found out this house that I I thought was still ex- in existence. And I, the realtor finally got called me back and said, no, the guy I sold it to actually tore it down. Uh-huh. And it was just this, yeah, it was an incredible house that was built in 1939 in Holmby Hills. And I was just so surprised that it lasted as long as it did. But it's gone.
1: Uh that must be heartbreaking when you lose a uh, potential option like that.
0: So it's a, it it is um getting more and more difficult but we still have some some great gems so we're lucky.
1: I imagine you have you guys must be well I mean you're experienced now so you would consider something like this but you let's say you go scout something in the summer in a relatively temperate climate doesn't change a lot but then they shoot you know in the winter and the sun is at a completely different location you're not getting the same shadows you're not getting the same light i mean is that an issue that sometimes you guys run into or
0: they have all sorts of programs that i can make those notations on my images yeah so and if it's if it's a consideration for the dp it's it's all taken into consideration in with the scouting you know that they want to they want to be facing north they want to be you know there at a certain time of the year that sort of thing
1: how about anywhere that you haven't been that you think would be awesome or or anywhere you have been that you think would be awesome for a movie but no nobody's been able to shoot there because it's just too logistically complicated too expensive too dangerous I suppose
0: I don't know I mean I I I think that you could you know I don't know that you could go anywhere with a huge crew you know and again for the for the Simple things that we discussed at the beginning, you need to be reasonably close to an international airport um, mm-hmm. and and good hotels because your crew um, can be in a not so perfect hotel. But especially if you have big name talent and, and you're, you know, the above the line, they all need yeah. to be in a five star hotel.
1: Yeah, like so, if Laurie Balton is a location scout.
0: Right. Yeah. So that so those are, you know. So it's mainly those considerations. I'm sitting in my office right now and I happen to be looking at a picture that I took of Machu Picchu, which is right in front of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, there's a classic example. I mean, it's it's mystical. It's fabulous. It's beautiful. It's so difficult to get to.
1: That's a great example.
0: So what do you do? So you go there for plate shots and you try to, you know, and even plate shots there would not be a picnic to get, you know, right. but that that you could do. And then you, you work around that, but to bring more than a couple of people there to get plate shots, I can't imagine, you know, and then they like, you know, even on a river runs through it. I remember I was scouting on uh cross country skis, you know, because I oh, had to scout, cool. scout in the winter and we were, we were shooting in the summer, but I still had to scout and find the places. So it's interesting when you're either scouting when there's no snow for something that you hope is going to have snow when they film Or you're scouting in snow for something that the snow is not going to be there when they film. And you're trying to imagine how it's going to look without the snow. The same was true in a um, Tom Cruise movie called Oblivion of Mm -hmm. scouting up in Mammoth. You know, and there was a lot of snow. Uh, We we didn't want the snow when they filmed.
1: Tell me about working with Christopher Nolan. I know you've done a couple movies with him. Inception, Dark Knight Rises. I, I read you said that it's really tough to work with him because a lot of the locations that he comes up with are in his head the locations that he wants
0: well it, it's particularly difficult for me to work with him because he's also one of those directors who's very um particular on on working with his inner circle and if you're not part of that inner circle you you need to tell the location manager and then the location manager needs to tell the production designer and then the production designer discusses it with him oh so, frustrating like Well, I mean, it is what it is. It's not, I mean, I I understand he's brilliant and he's got a lot of stuff going on in his head. So I, you know, um, but it's, but it is frustrating because I don't get to have that one-on-one that I do with most of the direct with, in fact, all of the rest of the directors that I work with. I think that's the only time it's ever happened, but I have worked with him, uh, you know, I have worked for him on a number of pictures and, um, Actually, a friend of mine just worked on *Tenet*, and she is a scout and a location manager. And she had a completely different relationship with him. And she was indeed a critical part of the inner circle. So it, you know, it all—it always varies. It's always in flux. Um, but yeah. see, the thing that drove me the craziest working on a Christopher Nolan movie was the movie *Inception*, because. Yeah. The rules kept changing all the time. And I was tasked with finding
1: I think that's the the plot for the movie, right?
0: Right. I was at the looking for the house that was at the top of the high rise. So they take an elevator up and they come in a craftsman house and there's a grass lawn. And it was like, okay, so how is the I mean it was just so (laughs) you know so bizarre. Exactly. And it's like, how do you scout for this? So you just do the best you could do, you know. But then, you know, even like Michael Mann on Heat, you know, it's a they're the director. So it's their world and they get to make the rules. And I'll tell you, every time I watch Heat, there's a scene at the end where Amy Brenneman is waiting in the car for um, Pacino, uh, uh, for De Niro to go to the airport. And it's that last scene in the hotel where everything just goes crazy. Mm -hmm. And she's in the car. And the, the alarms are going off. There's firemen and there's co- everyone. And she's parked in a red zone and nobody says to her, hey, lady, move the car. You can't park here. <laughs> and it just it drives me crazy constantly. And I, you know, I had pointed it out to Michael and he, no, no, this is the way it's happening. It's like, and it's like what are you going to do? He's the director.
1: Right. I saw you scouted locations for the new Top Gun movie, which... I assume it looks like most a lot of it was shot here in San Diego. That's where I live. Did you just basically get free range to wander around these military bases down here? How was that?
0: Um, I didn't do most of the base work, but we did have great cooperation, obviously, with the military because the original Top Gun was a a great recruiting tool for them. How do you get that? You
1: just knock on the door and they wave you in?
0: You know, it's a whole process, like everything in this business, and um the thing is, if you have a movie that's showing them in the light that they want to be shown, they're extremely cooperative and extremely generous, and, um, and they certainly were with that movie. But I scouted mostly for the off-base stuff, for a lot of the houses, and uh, mm-hmm. the, 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 my favorite thing was scouting up in Mammoth and Death Valley for the um, watching the planes going over, like zipping over, you know, and it's like uh, being there with a the video camera and going, Oh, fuck. I missed it again. I mean, they're just <laughs> so fast and so loud. And so, oh, yeah. so much fun.
1: I worked with, uh, the aerial DP for that movie, Kevin LaRosa on a project many, many years ago. Uh, he's an amazing pilot and I look forward to seeing the movie cause I know the in-flight footage will be unlike anything, anything else.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I watched the original just for research purposes and it, they actually reuse a lot of the flying footage. It's like, did they think no one would notice, but apparently nobody noticed when it came out, you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting how dated that one is going to appear. Up yeah, against after the After this. One. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You founded and are, you're the president, right? Of the location managers, uh, guild.
0: I'm a past president actually. And a co-founder.
1: Okay. Very cool. So, It sounds like that was founded partly because location scouts, they're not, first of all, not eligible for the Oscars and they don't get the recognition that they deserve in the industry. So what's the goal of LMGI?
0: The goal is basically to uh, let people know what we do, not only the general public, but also in the industry. I don't think that there's a really good understanding of what a location person does. And the fact that a location manager has a very creative and essential role in any kind of a production where we're providing locations that help the director tell his or her story. So that's basically the goal. We're basically a P- the PR arm for our craft. And we have an award show and um, uh, Compass Magazine. And we have uh, we started out as the LMGA and now we're international and um, the membership is growing. And it's great because you you have colleagues and friends all over the world. Um, and when I was working on Jack Ryan, the first one, I realized that I could hire our members, and 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 so oh, super we cool. had a team in um, Montreal and Paris mm-hmm. and uh, Rome, although that didn't stay in the story, and Morocco, and it was all LMGI members. So it was um, it was a lot of fun.
1: That's cool. I should say you're you're also the first location professional to be accepted into the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which is super cool. Well, what did that mean to you?
0: That was an amazing, amazing honor. It really was incredible. Um, I don't know that we'll ever be in a position where we will be nominated for an Academy Award, simply because there are so many stage movies. So there aren't locations that I'm it gets complicated to sort of separate
1: oh, that out. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So, that I mean, that's the issue. But for us, the, the designers branch in the academy is um, really wonderful in that they're very inclusive and that they understand that the especially the creative side of filmmaking is a team sport. And so they have location scouts. They have location managers. They have illustrators. Um, so it's a um, storyboard artist. I like that they recognize that, that it's a team sport.
1: Yeah, that's great. What determines whether a movie requires, you know, actual locations or can be just shot on a set? There could be some really obvious answers to that question, but I mean, they make some pretty amazing sets as well. So
0: Yeah, well, you know, there's that classic line from D.W. Griffith, "The rock is a rock, a tree is a tree, go shoot it in Griffith Park. And it's like, you know, sure, you can... Shoot anything on a stage or anything in Griffith Park, but how, you know, it's that certain je ne sais quoi, you know, how do you, how much is that worth to you and do you need Mm -hmm. it? And maybe you don't need it, you know, maybe it's the kind of movie where it's really all about the dialogue and the actors and you're going to be so close up on the actors that you're never even going to see the location. So, you know, so it really depends upon the nature of the project, it depends upon the budget. Of course. And, uh, you know, like even now with the project that I'm on with COVID, we're trying intentionally to see how many locations we can find that give us as much creative flexibility within the location so that once we set up our base camp, which is a much bigger footprint now because of COVID, we can stay there for a while and don't have to move. Because instead of just having one caterer to feed the crew, you have to have three separate feeding stations because the crew is divided into three different groups so that on the theory that if one person gets COVID, everybody doesn't have to go out. So for instance, the, you know, the people around the camera are, you know, the core unit and then around them is the secondary and then around them is the tertiary and they try to keep everybody separated from each other.
1: Yeah. What would you say is like the average day rate for a location scout?
0: Well, you could look at, uh, Hollywood Teamsters, local 399s website that has our rate sheet on it. Um, I, uh, have been doing this for a while, so I get above scale. Uh, it's, of course. you, you have to, it's not that easy to get into the union. You have to get in as an assistant when there's nobody else on the books. And, uh, right now it's pretty busy, so it's a possibility, but, um, you have to work for a long time as an assistant before you can move up. And, yeah. um, you know, I worked as a PA for a long time. I worked as a production coordinator. I slowly sort of found my way into locations. And, uh, you know, when I started working, I was working for $300 a week and I was working probably 18 hour days as a PA.
1: I read that you'd worked in craft services before that as well, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So that's a, that's like the classic Hollywood story.
0: Well, it was it was a fun job, you know, because I it, it took me a while to get a Zen approach there and realize that they're basically paying me to keep people happy. You hmm. provide cool things when it's hot, hot things when it's cold, to make sure that there's enough food, enough to drink. It, it's, uh, it's actually not a bad job, but I do remember at one point, uh, you know, someone comes up and compliments me on how I cut the cheesecake and I want to take the knife and go... I have a master's degree I know how to do things other than cut cheesecake but instead I just you know swallowed my pride and said can I get you a cup of coffee to go with that cheesecake sure and that's you know that's the thing it's like wherever you start you you need to have that attitude and and eventually you'll move up and into whatever it is that you want to do
1: before I kind of move into a different section of the podcast I'm curious uh what are some movies that you love because of their great, great location scouting? Uh,
0: my daughter is a horse trainer in Aiken, South Carolina, and I, see Biscuit. in fact, I just watched it recently, uh-huh. and boy, it, it holds up beautifully. And mm-hmm. it was such a great movie to work on, because everybody loved that horse, everybody loved that story, everybody wanted a part of it. And um, the best thing was Sarah was in, I think it's fourth grade, when you study in social studies, the state that you live in, and uh, it coincided with her spring break and she came around with me. We we scouted the whole state because I had to look at fairgrounds. Yeah, And so she she came along as my little assistant and we really had an incredible trip.
1: I love the Daniel Craig Bond movies. I think they blend locations all over the world so well. The spy movies always have great locations, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah.
0: I have to say the last Mission Impossible movie, I'm I'm not such a big Mission Impossible fan, but that last one, it turned my head, especially after scouting in Paris and realizing how difficult it is to work there. Mm-hmm. The, the, that whole sequence in Paris was just mind blowing.
1: Yeah, and that's like something that to the viewer is like, oh, that was cool. But like to somebody like you, you're like, oh, my God, can you imagine the work that went into that. Exactly. If The location scouting for a movie has been done somewhat haphazardly, or the budget just wasn't there for it. What does that look like to a viewer? Does that question make sense?
0: It does, it's kind it doesn't. of an obscure question. It, de- it depends really on the production designer because frequently they are so good that they can make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, and and a movie that I think think of in relation to this is, and I'm not saying that they did a bad job scouting because quite the contrary, they did an amazing job is John Panzerella and Leslie Thorson on LA confidential, um, which is okay. one of my favorite movies. Um, you have to, it's great. It's a great. Okay. movie. But the thing is it's a period film, right? And they didn't have the budget to spruce everything up. Ah. So we'd always, and I'm probably the only person who notices this, but it always sticks out to me. When it's, you know, at that time period, all of these buildings would have been new. You know, they wouldn't yeah. have all of this age and patina on them that they do now. because Oh, living. great point. Yeah. So so that's always been a little bit of a bugaboo with me. New old. And, and that's <laughs> the problem. Exactly. That's the problem with a lot of period movies. Is they give you this line of horseshit that it's a labor of love. And it's like, come on, if you don't have the money to make the movie, you can't make the movie. And to yeah. make a period movie, it's going to take a lot more money than it's going to take a contempt to make a contemporary movie because you have to hide so much more.
1: When you travel for fun, are you able to enjoy and be present or are you still just like looking for cool shit?
0: I'm always taking pictures and looking, but it's not. You have that backwards a little bit. It's not that I can't have fun when I'm I'm travel traveling for pleasure. I got a sense
1: you love your job.
0: Exactly. That's what yeah. that's what I was getting to. So to me, just traveling whether it's for work or on a fam tour or for vacation, I love it. And I and I love, you know, being exposed to different cultures and languages and fabrics and people and music. I mean, I, food. I I just I, to me it's just it's it's incredible regardless of the circumstances that put me there
1: what does a typical day look like for you when you're on when you're on location scouting like walk me through the whole day
0: I I generally get up as early as possible and I um it depends upon where I am in the process if all of the the um I I will probably have lined up the night before what it is that I'm going to see the next day. And I'll have it written down because the older I get, the more my memory goes and I'll have it written down in a really tight schedule. And I've gotten pretty good at estimating how long I'll need at places. Um, But then again, if you're traveling in a foreign country, you have to keep in mind, you know, or not even a foreign country, you know, when we were doing Lion King, we had to wait a couple of hours for Buffalo to move out of the way. And it's yeah. like, what do, what do we do? And the guy says, you wait. Do you right. want to ask him to move? I mean, no. There's so, not an app for that. Exactly. So, um, so I start as early as I can because you never know when you're going to run into things during the day that are going to slow you down. So I want to get as much done as I possibly can while I have the light. Um, depending upon what I'm shooting and who I'm shooting it for. I will try to avoid not shooting things outside at at noon, you know, when the sun is directly overhead and very harsh. Um, If it's possible, sometimes for time constraints, you have to keep going. But then I also work on my images. So I'll do that at night generally or I'll do that, you know, in the middle of the day. Yeah, Again, it depends upon what I'm looking for and how I'm shooting it.
1: Because you're presenting and, like a deck exactly. with all these images I mean, yeah, at the end. And
0: then I'll, I'll put things up on my website and, um, you know, send the link to the production designer and we'll go over it. And then sometimes have a different link that we show the director where we put only the eight choices, you know, depending mm-hmm. upon how the designer wants to work it.
1: Cool. What would you say makes a great location?
0: <sighs> it depends upon what it is that you're looking for, but usually something that has a lot of depth to it. Something that's evocative, you know, something that has it, it, to sound like completely vague and namby pamby, something that has a truth to it, you know, and I hmm. do, I mean, it's the, it, it's the same thing. I think when you're reading a book or when you're seeing a movie or you're hearing a piece of music or looking at a beautiful piece of fabric, There's, there's a truth to it. There's just something there that's, that's special. And I don't know, I don't know really how to describe it. And I, and i won't know it until i see it but that's why i love what i do i love that i'm the first eyes out there and i love that people trust me enough to know that they can ask me to go and find you know xyz and i come back and i say hey i, I here's xyz but look i found abc and it's even better don't you think and i and i love that i have that freedom that i can I can sort of fudge it a little bit because I'm the one that's out there actually looking at things and, and having the first look at things.
1: Right. I love that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I love it, too. I'm really lucky.
1: Yeah, I know every year it, it will vary. And let's kind of forget about this year. But how many miles a year did you fly last year? If you keep track of that,
0: I, I don't keep track of it.
1: Do you have status with any airlines?
0: I I do with American. So that's my preference whenever I travel. And usually most studios will let me go with the airline that I want. But a lot of times their travel person just makes what deals they make. So I, you know, I've got a lot of miles on the most on American, but also Delta um, and United.
1: If you had to guess how many days you were on the road last year, what would you say?
0: But I'm trying to think. Last year wasn't that bad. There were a couple of years where I was home only for maybe a month or two.
1: Wow. But you do spend a good amount of time in a location.
0: Yeah. And also I, I, I tend to work back to back. So it's, it's um, you know, I'll come home, unpack, repack and go out again on another show.
1: If you could only bring one thing with you aside from the basics, you know, when you travel, what, what would it be? What's your like go-to travel accessory?
0: I have three and I, if I had to choose only one, I'm, I probably you would can, go you with. You can the, pick three. Okay. So the, the Bose noise canceling headphones. Gotta have it. Yeah. R- super essential. And I remember, um, on Seabiscuit traveling with the producer, Kathleen Kennedy, and she was the first one. She said, oh, oh, you have to get a pair of these. You have to try these. And I put them on and it was like, ah, you hear the angels sing. So um, it took me a while to be able to afford my own. But yes, I do have my Bose noise-canceling headphones, and I love them. And I also love Little Mister, you know, like Avion, uh, just a spritzer. Yes. and, And then a really, really heavy hand cream with a great scent. And I used to be timid about the scent. And then on one plane, somebody said behind me, oh, that smells so good. And I said, oh, do you want some? And it ended up (laughs) passing it around the whole plane. And so now I I do, you know, Aesop makes a very good, it's like called the restorative something or other, but it's got, it's, it's very thick, it's very nourishing and it smells fabulous. And that's just, it kind of just takes you out of the plane for a while.
1: When you're on those long haul flights, I mean, oh my gosh, the air is so dry and your skin and your lips yeah. and your face just all gets so dry. So that those are three great things. Do you, you must be a pretty savvy miles and points person. I mean, you travel a ton.
0: I, I do, but it's not all up to me. So I'm not really. And, and then like, if I had the time where I was trying to finagle my own vacation planning I, I would be more aware of it, but I don't really have the time to take vacations. So sure. it's it's just all tied up in work, and it's basically what the studios work out. So I'm not. So you really don't really be- use your miles. Um, I I do when I have an opportunity. Like now that my daughter's living in Aiken, I go back and forth to Atlanta a lot.
1: Do you know how many countries you've been to?
0: M- most recently, Georgia, Malta, England, Vietnam, Hong Kong, Iceland, Poland, Jordan. Norway, Thailand, New Zealand, Lapland, Spain, Portugal, South Korea, <laughs> um, then in South America, Argentina, Peru, Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, Costa Rica, Canada. I'm not, France, I'm not
1: counting, but Bruneta, this is an extensive list.
0: Italy, Morocco, France.
1: <laughs> I, I, it's That's been amazing. good.
0: It's been good. It's been really good.
1: When you think back on all these places you've been and the uh, locations that you've helped you know shed light on through films, what impact has travel had on you and what impact do you believe it has on the world?
0: Well, I think that it's really hard to have a, a world view if you have a limited perception of the world. And I think that it's made me a more humble person. I think that it's made me a more accepting person and I wish that more people could travel.
1: That's Lori Bolton. You can find her on Instagram at LBolton or just about anywhere else in the world with a five-star hotel. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything from it, it would be supremely awesome if you'd share it with someone who might find it interesting or rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps other people find these episodes and is frankly, just great for the show. As always, feel free to reach out on social with any questions or comments. Once again, I'm your host, Ian O'Grimus, wishing you smooth travels. Peace!